Hello and welcome to another episode of Total Reboot, the only podcast on the internet that discusses movies. And I have a question for you, co-host Cameron James. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Are you ready to rumble? <laughs> you looked really uncomfortable saying that. I really doubted myself as soon as I made the choice to say, are you ready to rumble? It's like of the two of us who could and would ever be called up to be a ring caller, mm-hmm. you know? You, you have the great voice for that. Wow, okay. I can't believe you didn't back yourself. Well, let me try it again. You've given Go me one the more confidence. Time. Go one more time. Cameron James, I've got a question for you. Yep. Are you ready to rumble? Am I ready to rumble? <laughs> Actually, that's more you. <laughs> Are you ready to mumble? <laughs> Cameron James joining you as always is me, Alexi yep. Toliopoulos. Uh, on this podcast, we talk about movies. We are in the end yep. of our 1982 miniseries. We're in the end. Talking about the blockbuster summer of 1982 and the reference that I applied earlier, Are You Ready to Rumble? Of course, refers to <laughs> arena fighting, known mm-hmm. as boxing, pugilism, mm-hmm. if you will. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that is in reference to the movie we're discussing, Rocky Three. Rocky Three. Very excited to finally be talking about this on the record. Mm-hmm. We've discussed it off the record. Of course. And even on the record... Tangentially, tangentially, we've discussed this movie. You know the Rocky films, very near and dear to our heart. Very near and dear. The original Finding Story, Finding Drago, Mm -hmm. owes a lot to the Rocky movies. It even owes the title character Drago. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. (laughs) So a lot, a lot, a lot. At certain points in time, (laughs) that podcast was called Drago After Rocky. That's true. It was even closer related to it than it ever was. Yeah, that's true. We've been uh, obsessed with the Rocky franchise for a long time, dating back to Finding Drago. Mm -hmm. And while we're talking about Finding Drago, let's take a moment to pause Mm -hmm. and uh, go into our respective corners and thank... Our audience for supporting Finding Jesus. Yeah, thank you so much, guys. The res- the response to Finding Jesus has truly touched us. Mm. It has moved. We us. won't say where. It's been in a place that's very special to us. Cameron won't say where, but I will. My heart. Oh, is that where you got touched? Yeah, I got touched purely on the gooch. <laughs> Purely sounds like impure to me. No, it was quite pure. It was okay. chased. Well, thank you to all the listeners that touched Cameron's gooch in response to yeah. Finding Jesus. Thank you, guys. And to all those that touched <laughs> my heart in response to Finding Jesus. But it's been so nice, all the mm. messages we've got so far. But truly, thank you so much. We couldn't have done it without you all. You know? Yeah, it's been amazing. We, we can't believe it. And we're so stoked you guys liked it. Mm-hmm. For those of you who did, I'm sure some of you didn't. And just keep your mouth shut, yeah, shut if that's okay. Up, shut the fuck shut the fuck up we'll if you don't like it. Kick your ass. I'll fucking get we'll the fans that did like it to we'll fucking hunt you down. You. They'll bully you until we'll you're in a stupor. We'll hunt you down and, and we'll hurt you. Fucking hurt you guys. We'll throw fucking rocks through your windows, okay? <laughs> we'll ding dong dash you, okay? Yeah, we'll dine and dash. Yeah, we'll come to your establishments, <laughs> go, oh, I'll have a seven course for feed, please. Yeah. And once the bill comes, you're like, hang on a sec, there was a table of 12 people here. Yeah, now they're all they gone. where they go? They racked off. <laughs> and they were racking up in the toilets as yeah. well, I think. And we used your drugs. We stole your <laughs> drugs and sniffed them in your toilet. 
<laughs> Thank you so much. We love you guys. Um, we're going to make more stuff in that vein. Yes. There's more in the works. So, you know, keep your ears peeled mm-hmm. and your eyes peeled. Absolutely. And your nose as well. We are <laughs> attempting to finally go one step further than audio, two steps forward, further than vision. Yep. And we are going into nostril-based yep. research. We're doing smell-o-vision, folks. Mm-hmm. we got a smell-o-vision show. <laughs> We're testing the waters. It's like podcasts for your nostrils. And that's you get to finally smell what we smell like when we're investigating. Oh, boy. That's a bad idea. Yeah, but someone's got to try it. <laughs> that's true. But thanks so much, gang. If you could share it with people, that'd mm. be great. Let your friends know. Word of mouth is actually really good for this shit. So, if you yeah. just tell people in person or do that thing where you're at someone's house and you go, oh, I've got this great video we should all watch together and take that risk. Take that risk of watching you it know, with them. Um, a friend of mine and a friend of the show, fan of the show, mm-hmm. Mark Kelly, um, took that risk recently. Wow! And it didn't pay off. Damn. So it is a swing. It is a swing. He put it on with like a couple of friends, and then and then at a certain point, the conversation took over. Wow! And all of a sudden, a bunch of people are talking, and oh, he's Mark. sitting there going like, "Guys, watch this fucking web series, yeah. please, wow. please, guys, watch this web show." <laughs> so it is a swing. Take it if you want to take it. Word of mouth is the best mm-hmm. promo for this kind of thing. It works better than any advertising because it's. We really are banking on people saying, hey, check out this fucking weird, cool, yeah. funny thing that we found on the internet. So, But we are just commencing work on what we want to do next with that kind of mm-hmm. docu-comedy stuff. So, please do send your mysteries over at the findingyeezus.com website yep. um, because they help us out right now. There yep. might be something in there or they might find a discovery in there. So, please message those through. Uh, you can also send them at findingmysteries3030 at gmail.com. And I'll also say as well, like, don't... Th- if there's something small from mm. your hometown... Yes. ...that you think is too weird or niche or whatever, don't hesitate. Do not hesitate. That's the stuff we want. We mm. want you to go, hey, there's a rumor that there's a lady who lives on this street in Nowra and is, wow. she's a witch. Okay. I'd be like, okay, fuck yeah, that's a cool rumor. That's cool. And we can go down and check it out. That's the kind of stuff that we want. We want real local mm-hmm. mysteries. There's a rumor that there's this guy in small suburban uh, Chicago area that goes around Christmas time with a huge shovel and apparently he killed his whole family. Yeah, I know. I know. Have you heard that rumor? I have heard it, yeah. He's, um, I'm trying to remember, the shovel slayer, mm. snow shovel slayer. The snow, snow shovel slayer. And actually, they say he salts the sidewalks every night and the salt... Uh, Turns to ashes and turns the turns the bodies into mummies. Yeah, I heard that, and I looked it up. Turns out, nice guy. His kids just don't see him that much. Yeah, anymore. he's estranged from his uh, eldest son. Yeah, yeah, it's actually quite sad. Quite sad, but he did form a really good bond with a nine-year-old a nine-year-old boy <laughs> one Christmas. <laughs> And he helped him out because yeah. the, the nine-year-old boy had no friends or family with him at that time. It's, that's a whole other story, and we don't even have time <laughs> to get into that. No, not at all. Anyway, <laughs> let's get into Total Reboot. Uh, thank you once again for all your support, and now continued support on our other podcast project, Total Reboot. We are talking about 
1982's summer blockbuster hit Rocky Three, the third mm. in the fabled Rocky film franchise. This is a film and series very near and dear to our hearts, Cameron. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We, and our Gucci's. And our Gucci's, the two most touched areas on our bodies. <laughs> and the two most sensitive. <laughs> the most sensitive areas. And we have talked about Sylvester Stallone a lot. Uh-huh. We have both declared him to be a freaking genius. Yep. I have gone on the record saying that he's the great emotional filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And he is a master of the montage, the likes we've yes. not seen since Sergei Eisenstein first mm-hmm. cut and juxtaposed images together in the early days of a Russian montage cinema. Yes, you've gone on the record as saying that. I've so far remained off the record about what mm. I'm about to say. Yes. But let the record state that I believe Rocky Three is the perfect third sequel wow. in a franchise. Oh, wow. Okay. I think it does everything that we want it to do mm-hmm. as not only lovers of the character Rocky mm-hmm. and seeing that character progress, but also fans of Sliced Alone yes. because the character of Rocky has now started to resemble the actual trajectory mm-hmm. of Sly through this movie. And I think it's the coolest fucking thing <laughs> That he could have done with this movie. I agree. I I really do think he is not just the master of the montage. I think that he is the master of film progression in a series. Like how sequels go. I think he is so emotionally aware of like what the character should be doing. Because he has this deep relationship with Rocky. He sees himself as Rocky and he sees Rocky as himself as two different entities. Of course, we've seen them together. Sly and Rocky in that great special feature that you can find on YouTube where it's Sly and Rocky interviewing each other. Two guys that sound a lot alike. A little bit different, though, (laughs) which is the great blessing. And one wears a hat, one just has his hair popping out. One is faithful to the love of his life. Mm -hmm. The other... Fucked and sucked his way around Tinseltown. <laughs> the one of them, he probably just likes it normal style. The other one has been known to take an intern, a film intern, into his trailer during a mm-hmm. production in Canada during the 1990s uh, with a live microphone. Yep. He didn't take his Uh-oh. mic back hot off. Mic. There's a hot mic in the room, and people have alleged that he said out loud, Cradle the balls and work the shaft. Which is a phrase that we've all said at some point Mm -hmm. in our lives, but never on a hot mic. Never on a hot (laughs) mic, but he's one of the few that has said it on a hot mic. So, (laughs) Sylvester's Lone, interesting guy, but I think that he sees Rocky as the fable of his life, like the parallel fable of his life. If you look at the trajectory of that, you've got Rocky 1. It's this underdog story. Hey, I'm just a bloody jamoke over here. I don't know. Imagine if you said bloody... (laughs) Yeah, I'm a bloody fucking uh, piece of trash over here. Fucking hell. <laughs> it's the story of a bloody jamoke that uh, had no hope in this world, and but he comes across a chance uh, yeah. to make it to the big leagues, to fight mm. Apollo Creed, the w- world heavyweight champion. Yeah. And that is like a reception of his own life. He was mm-hmm. a struggling actor. He pops up in like a Woody Allen movie, The sure, Lords of Flatbush. Sure. That's kind of all he's doing at that Lest time. Lest we forget Kitty and Stud's Party or whatever it's called. <laughs> oh, yeah, Party at Kitten Studies. Also, later in the Italian Stallion, based on his freaking rig in the later Rocky movies, <laughs> after he made it. Then Rocky 2, 
It's the same movie again. He's mm. no longer the underdog. He's beloved. And Rocky One, it ends with the battle with him losing it. It doesn't matter that he wins or loses. What matters is he won the hearts of a mm-hmm. city. Mm-hmm. But on the outside of that movie, he also won the hearts of the world. Mm-hmm. It and the wins Academy. the best picture the at the Academy. Oscars. Abe Vigoda would have been there being like, yeah, you got it, man. We're giving wow. it to you. Do you think Abe Vigoda would have been there? <laughs> was, was he on the Academy or was he just on the Friars Roast? I would, the Friars Roast. I don't know if he would have been at the Academy Awards <laughs> seven years or four years after the Godfather premiered because that would have been when he was there for sure. Yeah, he would have been at that sure. table for sure. Oh, for sure. For, for sure. sure. Godfather Part 2, he's not back. He's not even there in 1974. Yeah, So, yeah, 77 yeah. When this is getting awarded, who's in the Best Academy picture? in '77? Oh my gosh, it would have been. I wonder who presented the award to them. Probably Jack Nicholson Fucking, or some shit. Yeah, he probably. always presents Best Picture winner. I reckon. Yeah, who knows? Almost every time, it's always him. <laughs> He's done it more than anyone else. So it wins the Best Picture award, and it goes up against huge, some big, big, huge pieces of movies. You, it goes up and beats Taxi Driver. Which is a famous movie. Very famous movie. Are you talking about the movie Taxi Driver? Yes, I am talking about the movie Taxi Driver. Mm-hmm. Then it goes up all the, against All the President's Men, beats that. That's also very famous and a mm-hmm. famous based on a famous thing that happened. Yes, it's based on a true story of Richard Nixon, known yeah. liar. Tricky dick, they called him. Mm-hmm. Put that in your deep throat and suck it down. Then we've got It Goes Up Against Network. Network. I'm mad as hell starring Sean McAuliffe and I can't even take it anymore. So that's why I've decided to stop doing that as hell. <laughs> so it, it beats these iconic movies because I think it's so full of like love, mm. life, and the underdog and spirits. Jamokes, jabrones, all the types bloody of idiots. all the types of bloody idiots you'd see on the streets of Philadelphia. So it's this huge success. And then Rocky too reflects that story <clears throat> where he's like, okay, yeah. I've gone and become the champion now. I should have a film that exposes that. Yeah. Then we get to Rocky Three, and like you said, it keeps continuing Sly's life. It's the best. The opening ten minutes of Rocky Three, where you see Rocky become famous. It's like a five-year montage where he like goes from winning the heavyweight world championship to becoming a celeb mm. and like doing ads for things and having a Rolex and like there's endorsements, endorsements. Him with Kermit the Frog hanging mm-hmm. out, and that is contrasted with this new up-and-coming brawler called Clubber Lang, who's still slugging it out mm-hmm. in like shitty gyms. Yeah, I reckon that is the most exciting opening for a movie ever to watch the original underdog become mm. the man and a new underdog be threat be wanting to challenge him and motivated by yeah. him oh my god i was i'm hooked right away and sly must have had those haters from like old neighborhoods and stuff going mm. like this guy freaking made it yeah yeah this sure, guy of course. and no one made it ever quite like him he goes from complete obscurity to becoming instantly mm. an icon as both a character and as an actor yes rocky is such a beloved character yet people like Roger Ebert were calling him the next Marlon Brando mm. because of like his naturalistic acting, his mumbly voice and stuff, capturing like this real authenticity of this down on his luck guy. And I don't think anyone's ever had that rise like that. Also, how many people have had a 
arise where they become they're called the next brando but they're mm-hmm. also like i don't know like a sort of beefcake hunk like i mean he, i know he wasn't as ripped in rocky one mm. but by this time around geez louise this guy he's fucking looks like no one's looked no like one's this. ever looked like this no either. one's ever looked like no this way. you look at a marvel movie now you look at them next to rock and yeah. this geez you got a couple of fucking god he should have gone yeah. back to pornos yeah <laughs> he should have gone back only to pornos. Gooch stuff. absolutely he's like i'll go back to porn i'm only doing the gooch but before we get cradle the gooch <laughs> rub the gooch cradle the balls and you work the shift <laughs> that's what the mic missed out he said to rub the gooch before it all <laughs> but when we're thinking about 1982 as this blockbuster summer yeah. we I think we made that hypothesis and kind of like that realisation why we go back to that 1982 mm. summer a lot as being something special and exciting is that I think it reflects what summers look like in the contemporary world in the modern day context where the blockbusters are no longer like something like Rocky, the first one, or uh, those kind of prestige Oscar movies Mm -hmm. that would probably get to the top of the box office during the American New Wave movement. It is more genre-led stuff, like The Thing, or, well, I mean, that was a flop, but you know what I mean. Like, the ones that we've talked about so far that have, like, burst through E.T. Those kind of movies are breaking into the tops of the box office. Yeah. And... Rocky Spectacle Spectacles Testicles Wallets and Watches And we love to watch those movies (laughs) And people take their wallets to spend money on them That's true (laughs) Sometimes they have to wear spectacles when they're out (laughs) Absolutely, I do So I relate to that And that's why that saying made sense in this context So I think Rocky really fits into this zone because it's Rocky 3 now. Mm. And we look at our summers, it's always genre pictures. And more often than not, it's sequel upon sequel upon sequel. Mm -hmm. And this is rare in the 70s and 80s. We are starting to see the sequel become a mainstream thing. There's always been sequels in cinema. There's always been remakes and reboots Mm. in cinema. But I think we see it shift in this time period where we're seeing sequels feel more direct. You've got The Godfather Part 2, a continuation of the story directly. Then you've got The French Connection 2, where we're starting to see those numerals come in, where it's just the direct sequel. You don't Mm. just rename it something else. Then you've got Jaws 2, with Mm. the actual number 2, and then Rocky 2 and 3 coming out in 79 and 1982. So we're kind of like seeing the mainstreamization. Mainstreamification of sequelization. (laughs) Which is also a a line from my latest rap. Jeez, I love flicks. (laughs) The only film-based rapper there is. Mm, Yeah. But it's so... I found it so interesting, and especially Rocky becomes the third highest grossing film at the box office this year. Do you want to have a guess the other two? I know them because you Mm. told me them. uh, uh, Fuck. First one's E.T., right? Mm -hmm. E.T., same year. The other one's previous year, but hangs on because it's a huge hit. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. I guessed this one when you Mm -hmm. quizzed me on this one before. It Mm -hmm. is... Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. No, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Raiders. Raiders. Raiders are still hanging on from 81. Wow, Raiders from 81. How exciting. Exciting times. And then right after that, we go back to the Oscars. It's on Golden Pond. Yeah. The Henry Fonda movie. Catherine Hepburn. I have seen it. 
wonderful picture. I'll never watch it. And then an officer and a gentleman, another blockbuster hit from this summer. But those are like two kind of prestige dramas. So it's interesting to see those things still sticking in there, mm. despite all the big genre movies that we've discussed in this mini series already. But the tides, they are changing. Mm-hmm. The normalization of cyclification or whatever I said before <laughs> is upon us. And Rocky Three, I think, is um you know, I've always considered it to be one of the lesser Rocky mm. movies, but after this rewatch, I'm fully gonna go opposite that and yeah. say I think it's one of the best yeah. sequels in the franchise. I think I'm there with you because it's not the one that I revisit the most. I usually go one and mm. four, then Balboa. And then the Creed movies. They're the ones that I really look out for. Mm. And then I go back to, you know, annual, biannual watches. But this one, I think because I leave it to aside, because I always think of it as like a Hulk Hogan movie, because Hulk Hogan's in it. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, maybe it's a bit cheesy, or maybe it's a bit mm. shit, because Hulk Hogan and Rocky, it's like the first mixed martial arts fight in mm. history where mm-hmm. it's boxing versus wrestling. Mm. And you just have that conundrum going, so is wrestling real in the Rocky universe? And Hulk Hogan can just pick him up and wallop him and try to break his back and stuff. Who knows? Yeah. So, that's where I always get stuck on. But revisiting it, it's like you said, it is a beautiful threequel. Mm. It just captures exactly where that character should be because that's where Sly is. He's become this celebrity. He's become the biggest movie star in the world. He's a representation uh, for what the American dream is. And then that builds up even more in Rocky Four, where he is a symbol of America and all yes. American people. And it just keeps on growing and growing. And I just find that just so beautiful. And we'll get deeper into it as we discuss what Sly's filmmaking is all about as a director in this movie. Shall we dive into this film? Let's shall get we, in the ring. Yeah, shall we enter the ring mm. and clubber each other? Get out of here, will you? The truth is we both started out on the same corner and I got lucky with my life and it's driving you nuts. Philadelphia salutes its favorite son, Rocky Balboa. Why don't you tell all these nice folks why you've been ducking me? This guy is a wrecking machine. You know, you've got a big mouth. Why don't you come out and close it, Balboa? Come on. I want to fight this guy. You'll fight him without me. Get out of here. Balboa was a fine champion, but his time has passed. See that look in their eyes, Rock? Got to get that look back, Rock. I the tiger. Come on. I will destroy any man who tries to take what I got. I'm going to torture him. I'm gonna crucify him real bad. For the first time in my life, I'm afraid. Damn, man, come on! There's nothing wrong with being afraid. You thought I was tough? This jump will kill you. You wake up after a few years thinking you're a winner, but you're not. There is no tomorrow. You're really a loser. Well, I don't believe it. There is no tomorrow. Cameron, you found a synopsis out there on the internet, so we're gonna kick off discussion of Rocky Three from director Sylvester Stallone. With a little game called Love That Log Line. Read me that log line and I shall give you my rating. Whether I love it or hate it, whatever I do, I must rate it. You gotta rate that thing, baby. I found this synopsis on MGM.com. Wow, the the lion roars. Metrosexual Goldwyn Meyer. Wow. That's what it stands for. Goldwyn and Meyer, thank God they wore those spats in the 1930s and we would call them metros with their manicured hands and toes. (laughs) And in fact, Rocky becomes a bit of a metro in this movie. He does. He does indeed. He, he's got a good suit on. His skin's mm. all cleaned up. In one of the early scenes, um, 
God, what's his brother-in-law's name again? Uh, Bert Young. <laughs> Paulie. <laughs> Paulie's like, hey, you think you're so good now? You're all handsome? Look at you. You got all handsome? Got a handsome face? Okay, human personification of the Skrilton. Yeah, I do feel handsome. <laughs> you freaking old chestnut. <laughs> He's a metro. All right, here we go. This is on the MGM website. In what may be the most exciting and fast-paced film in the series... Mm. Rocky Balboa strives to regain the eye of the tiger after a humiliating defeat in the ring at the hands of Clubber Lang. With the help of an unlikely ally, Apollo Creed, oh, wow. Rocky trains for the most gruelling rematch of his career! Exclamation mark. <laughs> <laughs> the whole last word is capitalised. <laughs> and it's the word career. They've underscored it, they've underlined it, it's in italics. Cameron, I gotta tell you this. This official synopsis, yeah. no shit, maybe the best ever read out on this podcast. Pretty good. When you said an unlikely friend, Apollo Creed, I couldn't help but say, oh wow, because I had a tingle run through my body, <laughs> even though I know what this movie's all about. Starting at the gooch and working its way up the neck. Yeah, it worked the shaft on me. I <laughs> yeah. can't help it. I think it's one of the best synopses I've ever heard on it's this really podcast. It's really good. The whole movie. I'm so pumped on this movie. Mm. Can I tell you? I can tell you exactly how pumped I am mm-hmm. on this movie. I put it on. Wow. I immediately, I paused the movie halfway through mm-hmm. to Google boxing gyms in my area. Wow. Because I've been thinking about joining a boxing mm-hmm. gym for, I don't know, maybe the last eight years. Yeah. But never pulled the trigger of on it. Of course. And then I, I Googled, I found one in my area and I went, okay, I'm going to keep watching Rocky 3. Maybe mm-hmm. I'm just getting too hyped up on this movie. I got to the final fight of this movie. I paused the movie again. I got to get I punched in the up. head. I signed <laughs> up for the boxing gym. And the last three days I've been going to this boxing gym. You've been gym. going for the last three days? Yes. Wow. I've been going to a boxing gym in my area. And guess what? I'm sore in all of my areas. Wow. It really fucking hurts. Wow. It really hurts. Do you hurts. get punched? No, you're like hitting a bag. You're but I've got a bag. trainer guy there who I'm hitting his pads sometimes. Mickey. Yeah, I've got, got a your Mickey, own Mickey. Except instead Come of like- Come on, kid. You got it all. I want it, me kiddo. <laughs> this movie makes you think that all boxing trainers are like grizzled old, hey, you piece of trash, get <laughs> over here. But they're not. They're all like 22 <laughs> And they're, they're really hot and they're South American. Yeah. I, I, no, no, no. You gotta find the grizzled old guy. <laughs> Come none. on, Rocky. You gotta suck me in the fucking head, you little piece <laughs> of shit. Rocky, you gotta get me, Rocky. But that is the power of this movie is that I just mm. thought, well, I just need to pull the trigger on it now yeah. because I'm so pumped watching it. Mm. What is it about this movie and Stallone's filmmaking that is just, that gets you so. Energetic. What is it about it? I really do think that he is someone who is in complete control and understanding of how to communicate emotion. Mm. If you watch these movies, and we have like a very special relationship with these movies, where from making Finding Drago, we had to think about how he made those movies and how he conveyed emotions to their audience. Mm. And I think part of that and part of our understanding from that in a very special way is that publicly being kind of related to those movies in some way. Uh, We've had great connection to the fan bases of those movies. Hmm. And seeing that response from those people kind of unlocked like an extra level for me to understand like what it is. 
Because the Rocky fans, they're, you know, typically quite masculine men. And the Rocky films mean a lot to them because I think they are the first movies that they were able to experience true and deep emotional Mm. connection to, Mm. which is allowing them to cry, allowing them to feel great empathy with a character that they can relate to. And Sylvester Stallone, these are his written works, his directed works for the most part. And I think they are all quite melodramatic in like a soap opera sense where it's all like a deep character arc where you see them hit a rock bottom every time as much as I'd love to hit that rock bottom as well. You want to hit the rock's bottom? No, I want to hit Rocky's bottom. Not Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Dwayne the Rocky Johnson? I don't want to hit his bottom. I have no desire to do such a thing. Okay. I'll admit that to you here right now. <clears throat> so, I we see- finally have a ruling mm-hmm. on who you would and wouldn't fuck. Yes. If you had a <laughs> hit or pass on those two, it still would be hit sly and pass on Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Mm. No, I did not want to drain The Rock's Johnson whatsoever. <laughs> but... um. You have these character arcs where you, like, take them on a full emotional journey. So, I think people, especially men uh, and these, like, you know, strong men have, like, a really deep emotional connection Mm. to the masculinity of Rocky because it is vulnerable masculinity. It's not toxic masculinity like a lot of the action movies that they would be, And like a lot of other boxing movies Mm. because the boxing genre is huge and has been around forever. In fact, by the time Rocky... Is being made in the seventies. Mm-hmm. It was it's, out. It's like a metatextual mm. take on the old boxing pictures from the thirties, forties, like fifties. Mm-hmm. There's like I don't know when was Fat City. That's a sixties. Fat movie City, maybe? I think, is sixty. By the way, yeah. my favorite title for any movie ever. <laughs> Fat and City. Stacey Keach. Stacey Keach, the fat man himself. <laughs> but you know they've got like the champ and like yeah, all those yeah, movies. Yeah, the brawler. Yeah. There's all sorts of the, on What's the mat. There's a lot of the um, Rocky Marciano movie that uh, yes. Paul Newman did. Like yeah. all of those. I think I don't know. I think that's called Rocky as well. But it's no, but I know the one you're talking mm. about. But there's there's like. A, a, a trend of them, they are sort of like an equivalent of the Western and mm. they do have parallels to the movie Rocky. Mm. A lot of the time they're about- Somebody uh, up there likes me. Oh, yeah, that's the one. That's yeah. the one. Um, a lot of times they're about like uh, an underdog mm. who has ties to the local mob yep. he's and an he's got a gal that he likes and he wants to be with her. Sometimes he gets told to throw in a fight. Mm-hmm. Sometimes he has to overcome a bully. It's Rocky very much in that noir of all of these su- stories. The noir subset as yeah. well has a lot of films set around boxing and stuff. And even and it like is that. the movies, the boxing movies that have come since, there are a lot of them. But Rocky seems to be still the number one mm. example, and it's interesting because it is a fucking emotional story. Mm. The others are not so much. Even like the, the boxing movies that have been made in the last few years, like Southpaw and whatnot, they really try to inject emotion into mm. them but they're just the you can tell the filmmakers are too in love with watching their lead get jacked yeah. and then just watching people get the shit beaten out of them yeah the only ones that kind of really hit after rocky in that kind of cultural zeitgeist mode are usually like biopics like raging bull yeah yeah, yeah, yeah or the yeah. hurricane cinderella mm. man those kind of I things i love all those movies ali the yes. i love ali i love them all or Total fantasies beyond even Rocky that 
still play on those emotions like uh, Clint Eastwood's Million Dollar Baby and sure. those kind of things. Mm. But Rocky really is like this spectacular emotional journey. And I think the Sly is so zoned in on how to express emotion and how an audience accepts it, like how mm. an, or what the audience's journey with them is and how to really visualize it. And I think that he is so succinct at taking you on those journeys. And it's all through like that visual juxtaposition. Like how you talked about Rocky Three, you're seeing the celebrity of Rocky at the top of his game. He's so beloved by everybody. He's so nice. Like mm. Rocky's the most likable character. Like the first time you see him in this movie is a lot of it is just with him and his son like driving around this golf cart. Like t- he's telling like um, nursery rhymes and stuff to him. Like mm. hey, so it was Jack and Jill. They you know they they're brother and sister, and they you know trying to get some water up and from a hill they've got to bring it down again so it's a pretty interesting story huh son I'd love it if he was doing the Andrew Dice Clay routine <laughs> hey Jack and Jill went up the hill to fetch a pail of water Jack uh, fucking fucked her <laughs> and they're not brother and sister in this version either <laughs> but, well, um, maybe they are I don't know Jesus Christ I'm, I'm just, just a, a freaking gym- boxer I'm a freaking Jamoli I'm a Jamoli from freaking Philadelphia <laughs> this kind of stuff but uh, I don't even know Jack and Jill. What so, the hell? And he's in complete juxtaposition to Clubber Lang, who's this angry guy mm. who has never gotten a piece of the pie, yes. who's trying so hard to get it. So you're on this emotional journey with these two characters. One is like the heel, but the heel has got some justification there, but mm. he's angry, so he's hard to like. Yeah. And then Rocky, the easiest guy in the world to like. I actually don't think there's a movie character ever that is as sensitively likable as Rocky. Yeah, very true. He's definitely up there. But the, but Clubber Lang is like the perfectly picked mm-hmm. uh, heel for this movie. In fact, I reckon all of them have a perfectly picked heel with mm. the exception of Rocky Five, mm-hmm. which I watched immediately after watching Rocky Three. Mm-hmm. again. I've seen it before, but it's the one I always skip. Yeah. I gave it a watch again the other day just because I was... Pumped and I'd you know Curious. I'd spent one hundred and seventy nine dollars signing up for a yeah. boxing gym. You're like I got to try and uh, regret this decision immediately. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think Tommy Gunn's a bad um, bad villain choice yeah. for that movie. It's it almost makes sense on paper because it, do- it totally makes sense on paper. Yeah, and I think that part of that is. It's a sly script. It's a script from Sylvester Stallone, mm. but it's directed by John G. Advilson, who mm. is the director of the first Rocky masterpiece. He deserves that best director win that he got. Mm-hmm. And then he's also completely did the same material and the same kind of uh, character journey with the Karate Kid movies as oh, well. Oh, that's right. I forgot he did Karate Kid. Yeah, yeah, so that's him. That's his wheelhouse. Yeah. And I think he's really good at the ascent. But then perhaps something with uh, these movies becoming even closer to uh, Sylvester Stallone's soul and the way that he expresses his life mm. in the world, I think it just makes more sense coming from his slurry little voice. Because, it totally does. You know, Five isn't bad, by the way, for anyone at home. It's better than most people think. Yeah, for anyone at home who aren't sure about watching it, the, the score is a bit crap. It's got a lot of, like, mm. cheesy hip-hop on it. And, yeah. like, I like hip-hop a lot, but, like, when you see, like, a movie with mostly white people in it, um, and there's like mm. kind of a 90s hip hop beats underneath it. It's like, oh god, this is a bit stupid. Yeah, um, it isn't bad at all. It's it's not. It's pretty cool, and I think it does reflect 
something that Sly wanted to express, which is that he felt threatened by a new generation mm. of, of like kids, essentially. And he, he kind of had this relationship with them where he was like, I want to be your mentor, but you yep. just want to surpass me. I think that's what the movie's about. And it's it's quite nice. But three, three to me is the perfect if if the Rocky franchise ended at three, I'd be happy. Mm. It's the perfect trilogy capper for this character. Yeah. And I think a lot of that comes down to Clubber Lang, who mm. we need to talk about. Mr. T as mm. Clubber Lang. This is such an announcement performance. My God. Have there ever been has there ever been a bigger announcement performance? Not only, hey, here's who I am mm-hmm. as an actor, but here's who I am as a pop cultural icon from now till the end of time. Yeah, he is mm. so deeply beloved, Mr. T. Mm. And this is right after he had won America's Best Bouncer. Yes. That's how he makes it, it into the entertainment industry. He is He's a bouncer. A real life character. He's a bouncer at these exclusive clubs. Uh, and he becomes a bit of a celebrity because he's got these catchphrases. He's got this instantly iconic mohawk mm. beard combination yep. that everybody knows what it looks like. And he's got that jewelry. And a lot of jewelry. The jewelry. Do you know the story about the jewelry? Yeah, I think it's one of those stories that a lot of people know now, Apocryphal. which is that he, um, when he was working a bouncer at a nightclub, any lost jewelry he would wear. He would just start wearing and mm. adding it to this big collection of chains and wasn't it also so that if the person came back and they saw they it he would say just hey that's mine i lost it inside and he yeah. would give it to them yeah. but it became part of his look and the hairdo is inspired by warriors mm-hmm. and the warriors or warriors no of not, days the, past. not the warriors <laughs> warriors of the, the days baseball past furies that have uh, have ties to his like ancestry mm. And he had catchphrases, which is great. We all know a local character that has catchphrases. Mm. Yep. Most of them are annoying. Yeah. But if some of them are cool, like I Pity the Fool, for mm-hmm. example, make that guy a celebrity, I reckon. Yeah. And he's so charismatic. And I think it extends on Apollo Creed being uh, embodiment of so much of Muhammad Ali's fame and what his charisma is. Mm. And he kind of takes the heel turn of that. Like, he's still kind of rapping at uh, Rocky as, Mm. like, a kind of uh, way to intimidate. He's more Ali than Apollo, I reckon. I think it's the... I think... It's almost like a light and dark side of that character, mm. like the the face and the ego and then the kind of heel and the villainous traits of that character mm. being split into two versions because Apollo's so saintly, you know? Yeah. Like, you know, of course, yes, he did have an affair that re- produced a bastard child we that don't we don't know find that out yet. till later. We That's not written that. yet. So not, It didn't happen yet. But, you know, he's quite saintly of a character, mm. especially in this movie. And yeah. he is, I think he's superb in this movie as well. Carl uh, Weathers. Carl Weathers. Man, yeah, he fucking rocks mm-hmm. my dick yeah. off. <laughs> He's he so cool. works that shaft throughout He's, this movie. I've been rewatching Arrested Development. Oh gosh, lately, yeah. And I totally forgot that there's like a six episode arc mm-hmm. where Carl Weathers plays himself yeah. in the show yeah. as an acting teacher, and he's so funny in it. He's so charming. Mm-hmm. I love him in. I love him as Apollo Creed. I just love the relationship with him and Rocky. How they're sort of 
enemies turned frenemies mm-hmm. turned brothers. It's oh, I love it. I love this. I love three. Yeah. I know I'm repeating myself over and over again, but I really love this movie. Yeah, it's. I think it is just like such, such, such a great sequel, and I think it's that evolution of the character of Rocky. Uh, throughout this movie and meeting those challenges that motivate him each time. Like, he is someone who wants to retire now because Adrian, his wife, also known as Yo Adrian, uh, Mm. played by the great Talia Shire, Mm. they've got a kid. Their kid is, like, you know, just beyond toddler. His name is also Rocky, by the way. Yeah, Little Rocky. By the way, this is an observation you made years ago that blew my mind. I never (laughs) thought in my head that Rocky's not his real name. (laughs) I was just like, oh, he's born Rocky. Yeah. His name's like Robert or something. Yeah, the kid's name's Robert, so mm-hmm. we can assume that Rocky's name is Robert. And Robert do you, Balboa. <laughs> do you think this is, a, is at all as successful if the movie that came out in 1976 <laughs> is called Robbie? No. Do you think... <laughs> what if it was called Bobby? Bobby. Well, you know, they couldn't call it that because... 30 years later, uh, <laughs> Emilio Estevez would make a movie called Bobby about well, Robert. Well, they'd have to call that Rocky. Well, that, okay, then both are a success in that in that universe. <laughs> what, if he's, what if the character's name was Bobby Balboa? Bobby Balboa? That sounds like a used car salesman. It sounds like a freaking Howard Stern catchphrase that his audience have to yell what at What if you. his name was Baba Booey? <laughs> <laughs> but... I think it's like those motivations of Rocky changing the evolution of that character. He's got other priorities now, mm. but then everything keeps shifting because his pride gets in the way. And I think Rocky's relationship with pride is so essential to this franchise and the character and to the people that love it. Yeah. Because pride is important, yes, but there are countless things that supersede his pride. There are so many other priorities in his life that he puts ahead of pride because mm. pride is like a selfish thing. Yeah. And I think Rocky is a rather sensitive and generous character. Like we see him looking after his deadbeat brother-in-law for his entire fucking life. Who, by the way, is really not a great guy. He's a personification of a bum. He is a bum. He starts the movie drunk. He's mm-hmm. jealous of Rock. Sorry, Robert. He's jealous he of Robbie. He's, he's breaking the arcade game. He throws his fucking pinball <laughs> machine. He mm-hmm. fucks it up. He's like, you know, he's angry. He wants a job. He doesn't do much. And then he's, uh, later on when they're training in LA, mm. he's not happy about being around African-American guys. Yeah, he is freaked out. Yeah, he he's- says some stuff that so you go... All right, Paulie, that's not actually not on. Paulie, you're cancelled, okay? Yeah. As whatever you are, I you're don't know, canceled. some kind of like professional alcoholic. I don't know what canceled. your job is, but... <laughs> you're the guy that stands in Rocky's room going, Jesus, Rock, I think you're going to get sucked in the head this time. <laughs> that's all he does. Uh, but Rocky's so generous and there's so many things that take over his pride. Like mm. it's like the third or fourth priority, yet it's something that's still important to him. And I think the motivations in this movie are just so perfectly delivered. Like mm. when he goes in the ring and this fight with Clubber Lang is like, there's no hope. He's mm. never going to beat Clubber Lang. He's gone soft. He's gotten soft. He's got other priority in his, in his life. He's yeah, lost the, the hunger. He's lost the eye of the tiger. He's lost the eye of the tiger. He's lost the, the survivor's will, if you will. Yes. And Mickey, played by the fantastic Burgess Meredith, mm. is scared. Two last names on that guy. <laughs> He's not even <laughs> close to a first name anywhere. Is it, how do you think there's been a I kid guess called- Meredith is technically a woman's first name. <laughs> 
God, that's so funny. He's a kind of person that like both his names. I like they both sound like maiden names. Like you would definitely change your name if you had either of those as your surname. I've never met an adult whose first name is Burgess. Yeah, I've met a few babies. Burgess uh, catchphrase. <laughs> but I think that scene in the Maybe ring. John Burgess Meredith. <laughs> This is this should go on forever. How many more can you link in there? Uh, Meredith Vieira. Um, but you see him when he dies, like mm. on, on that, uh, like during that boxing match, yeah, and you see him it. pass out. That's another perfect montage perfect contrast moment. It's so good. It is a perfect contrast moment, and then it is the perfect melodramatic moment mm. for backstage, whatever you call like the green room of like a boxing match, the locker room where he is. Literally dead. Like he mm. is, he's got a few words left in him. He cannot even open his eyes. He's like basically in a body bag lying on this table. And then Rocky's hunched over next to him and they have like their last heart to heart conversation. Mm. And Burgess Meredith, great actor. He was nominated for an Oscar for that first film. I think he's even better in this one. I think mm. it's one of the great dying moments in cinema where he basically just runs out of words. Yeah. Just like that movie. Last words or whatever it is with Eddie Murphy, where you've only got a certain number of words. Do you know that movie? A hundred words. It's like he just gets to the end there, and then Rocky is just hunched over. Mm. It's just a singular light source for that, where there's just like a lamp in the room that lights everything up, and just Rocky's like hunched over. And there's like a stranger in the room with them as well, and that's it. It's like really moving and powerful, yeah. motivating him for the rest of the movie. Yeah, God, I love it. I mean, it's just like he goes through a lot in this movie and it's interesting because we learn that over the last five years he's uh, defended his heavyweight championship ten times, which is great. We're like, oh, yeah, fuck yeah, Rocky, of course. Rocky's number one. He's the best. But then about halfway through the movie we learn that all those fights were handpicked by Mickey Mm -hmm. and he handpicked people that he knew Rocky would beat. He Mm. never picked the legitimate contender. Mm-hmm. I love that as a moment for Rocky because it's a real moment where all of a sudden he is the underdog again, where Mm. we just realize, oh, it's been kind of a fraud the last five years. He legitimately needs to get that eye of the tiger back. Pump me up. Mm. I went fucking schizo for it. I loved it. And it's such a great evolution of the character where he's now on top of the world and to get back back on top he has to go back to the bottom he has to mm. go to scrappy gyms in chicago and la i mean uh, it's just fucking cool as hell to mm-hmm. watch a training montage and these movies are full of them mm. and i especially we've seen four a lot mm-hmm. i know that four contrasts the high mm-hmm. like drago's High intensity, um, crazy scientific one with Rocky working out in the snow with logs and shit. Pulling freight trains with his bare arms. To me, that's the the best Mm. of all of these movies. But this one, I think, comes close because we get to see Rocky's cool fancy ballroom gym that he's set up with all his money. And then we get to see him just in LA and like like a kind of crummy area, Mm. like jogging on the street and fucking there's- Leaking pipes everywhere and shit. Yeah. And I would say the one thing that I keep coming back to that I think differentiates this from the other ones and what makes Clubber Lang so special is Clubber Lang is so motivated then in contrast to all the other ones, 
even Apollo, you get to meet Apollo's team, like his team. You get mm. to know all of them. Clubber Lang feels like a soul entity in this world. You only ever see like there's a couple of guys in his corner. Mm. You don't really know who he they are, alone. but he feels like such a he, yeah That's alone. He, he trains says, alone. Like, I I train alone. So all the montages is him by himself in a darkened gym. Mm. Like, by the way, you wouldn't do that. No. I mean, maybe maybe he would, but I wouldn't. Yeah. If I was left alone in a darkened gym, I'd probably be doing something else. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so interesting. Like, I just think that he's such a fascinating character that, like, is worthy of deeper exploration. Yeah. Know? Well, I mean, we got to see a lot more of Mr. T in pop culture. Mm. He's still a pop cultural icon. Yeah. He He's went- tweeting about the freaking vaccines, about how he goes to get <laughs> all the vaccines. And it's amazing seeing people in his replies going, like, oh, wow, I can't believe the vaccine place it pays freaking Mr. T to betray us to mm. us. Like, that's insane if you think Mr. T is getting most- paid to talk about getting vaccinated. He's the most individual person mm-hmm. maybe in show business. I yeah. can't imagine him getting on any payroll no that he didn't want to be on. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's not an actor. Yeah. He's not even a, like, public figure, really. He's, he's just yeah. an icon because he looks, sounds, and behaves the way he does. He went straight from this to the A-team. Mm-hmm. And then what? Yeah. Doesn't do much else. He just kind of, like, is Mr. T. Yeah. He's not, like, in other movies. There's no movie franchise that he's the lead of. There's not another, another character show. we know him as. He doesn't it's do just other characters. Clubber Lang. Mr. T, the guy, and then B.A. Baracus from the A-Team. You don't know anyone else. Ever since the A-Team, he's just been Mr. T, Mm -hmm. plays himself in things. I think sometimes he voices characters on fucking adult swim shows and shit, but like- he is. He's not getting on anyone's payroll. I always loved those sketches he did with Conan O'Brien, where Conan went to Chicago for mm. like a f- couple of weeks of shows, and it's like him and Mr. T like going around to things because he's a Chicago icon, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So good, and I just love this character. I'm right there with you. This has jumped up my estimations of like mm. favorite Rocky films because it's just such a beautiful understanding. Stallone communicates so effectively to his audience, like the emotions that they should be feeling. Mm. He just so deeply understands how audiences take in those emotions, those arcs and what's important and how to be like so blunt and bold with them and when to be subtle with them and the kind of complexities of this character and the people with around him and how they relate to Rocky because they are really individual journeys. Mm. They are really Rocky's journeys in these films. But he has to like give way to the people around him because that's the way that his life works now. He loves people. He's like a deep-hearted man that loves the people around him and wants all their lives to succeed as well. You can see why he's gotten so defensive around the new Creed movie mm-hmm. that's coming out. Um, and why? Because he's not part of it? He's not part of it. He I th- he originally wanted to write Di- and direct yeah. uh, the Creed sequel, and too. I was really excited about that. Uh, he's fantastic in both Creed mm. films. He should have won that Oscar. Mark <clears throat> Rylance stole it from him. There is a part of me that thinks... Mark Rylance should be killed. No, and his Oscar I quite be like Mark him. Rylance. <laughs> <laughs> there is a part of me that thinks that... Uh, it's nice that the Creed movies are now moving on without mm. the Rocky character. And it's a cool evolution for Michael B. Jordan to now be the yeah, head of that the franchise. Director. The director, I believe he would have some big input in the screenplay, if mm. not the writer of the screenplay, which is like the tourist move that I would want him to make with this franchise. It's become 
it's become to Michael B. Jordan what it was to Sly all mm. those years ago. Um, you know, Coogler used it as a jumping off point for his own career. It's, mm. it's, I think it's cool what it's doing for those guys. I don't think the character of Rocky needs to be part of it anymore. Now it's about Adonis's journey mm. and, and his, and it looks like from the trailer that it's, you know, it's going to be fucking good. It looks yeah. like it's going to be fucking sick. I hope Sly gets behind it. Mm, I hope so too, because I would want them to come back together. And I do deeply understand Sylvester Stallone's needing to have more ownership of the character because he's been boxed out by MGM or Paramount or whoever owns it Mm. now and uh, that he has no ownership of the character or direction of the franchise in any kind of way. And I think he, well, he's talked about how he wants some of it so it can be some legacy of him and his family for his family. So his kids can have like a part in it, ensure their safety through that character as well as it's ensured his entire life. And that character's going nowhere. Yeah. That character will be around forever. Like, mm. there's always going to be ways they can. If Sly just wants to make money for his kids out of the character, he can. Mm. Like, it's it's not going to be a shortage of. But they're not giving him the ownership of any kind, not even a percentage of the ownership of that character. Well, surely he gets a cut of the other movies, though, with the title, with his title in it. Maybe not. Mm. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah, it's so interesting Creed coming back because I keep thinking about when Creed came out and that movie is just so spectacular. I think it is the easily the greatest legacy sequel that there is that so understands the nuances and the unsubtle nature of the Rocky films. And it is so bizarre to me that they didn't push that, the studio didn't push that as a best picture front runner because mm. I think they underestimated people's connection to not just the franchise, but that first film. That first film is a Best Picture winner. Mm. I think if there weren't other films in between there that people considered to be action hack movies or whatever, mm. they would have seen it as going like, wow, we've got a prestigious movie like Godfather Part 4 or something coming sure. out of nowhere. But it's such a feel-good emotional journey that I don't understand how they didn't go, yeah, we should be really pushing this. I can't even... They pushed some bullshit. I think it was bullshit. a surprise. I mean, yeah. that's the reason that it even got up is mm. um, Ryan Coogler. That's his name, Ryan right? Coogler, yeah. Ryan Coogler knew that, I guess, cultural love or like mm. industry love for the franchise had died down enough yeah. to a point where he would be able to buy his way into mm. it with his own take on it. If it was... If it was still thought of as a best picture type movie, mm. he would never have been able to come in on Creed. Yeah. He would never have even been able to pitch the idea, probably. So it needed to go on the arc that it went on for, mm. for Creed and Creed 2 and now Creed 3 to get made. It is a shame that it was kind of treated a little bit. I don't, I don't think it was mistreated. I think there was still talk of it mm. as like a prestige movie but and not think, from the studio you know no not from the studio but you know fuck the studio we've mm. always said that shit we don't care about the fucking yeah. studio we don't love the studio system thank no. god they made that paramount decree back in the 1930s that stops studios from owning cinemas yes thank god and let's hope it stays in place because otherwise i think the studios are gunning to do the same thing again mm, yeah i know shall we give away a couple of oscars before we get into the total reboot section definitely Best character actor. This is a movie littered with character (laughs) actors. 
But we have to give one big one away, I think. Burgess Meredith, of course, he's fantastic. Great character actor. The Twilight Zone where the gl- glasses fall off his head and sh- shatter and can no oh, longer that read. Him? That's Burgess. Know. But to That's me, Burjo? Burt Young. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah he yeah, epitomizes yeah, yeah. what the character actor is. Paulie Panino. Paulie Panino. This is his signature role. Paulie Panino also sounds like a Howard Stern catchphrase. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a freaking disgusting sandwich that one could order. <laughs> hey, can I get one of those Paulie Paninos? Sounds like you'd go into a doctor for a sexual health check. And be like, <laughs> I think I've got a Paulie Panino. <laughs> oh, God, you <laughs> certainly do. That's two scrotums down there. <laughs> A Pauli Panino sandwich is like, it's a meatball sandwich and the mm. sauce is crunched up meatballs. And the bread is meatballs. <laughs> the bread is one long big meatball. <laughs> it's a hollowed out meatball filled with more meatballs. <laughs> I think that he's glorious in these movies. He's yeah. so funny. He's such a weird little disgusting little grub. One of the ugliest men on the big screen. Just, <laughs> I adore him. Strangest guy. Doesn't I, he, play, he plays um, Bobby's dad. Yeah. On the Sopranos. Bobby Bacala's Bobby dad. Bacala's and he's dad. got like he emphysema. He's got a great scene. He's a, got a great episode. A great episode. God, mm. he's good in that. And before that, he mm. kind of pops up a lot. The one that I remember him most from is Chinatown. Yeah. He's the very first character you meet in Chinatown that is uh, a, a man whose wife is cheating on him and mm. Jake Giddies has right. taken the pictures of, of yeah, like his right. wife. He's the first like client in Chinatown. Yeah, I love that. Great actor. It's awesome that he's got this one role to kind of shine in. Yeah. I love his appearances in Rocky Balboa and then the appearance of his gravestone in, Ro- in Creed. Do you think it's... Interesting um, and notable that his name is Burt Young, but he's always looked old. I think it's definitely notable. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I love love him. Love Burt Young. Love Burgess Meredith. Mm-hmm. I've already given a shout out to Carl Weathers on yeah. this podcast. I would like to take another moment mm-hmm. to say Carl Weathers is one of the more charismatic screen presences. Yeah. And uh, I love him in Predator. Love him in Predator. Adore him in Happy Gilmore. Lo- oh, my God. He's in oh two God. of the Chubbs. greatest sports movies of all time. He's in some of my favorite movies. Yeah, it's crazy, And right? my favorite TV show yeah. as well. Like, it's just... The Mandalorian. Yeah, love him in Mando. <laughs> love him love as him. the character that he plays. The character. Yeah. <laughs> I love that character, the character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean everyone's great in it. Mm-hmm. I don't have any. I don't have anyone else I'd rather. I love Talia Shire as Adrian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Adrian. She's so Your Adrian good. Adrian is fantastic. I in think all of them. Uh, that's the one thing that I kind of wish these movies gave her a little bit more mm. to play with. Sometimes, yeah, because she kind of just serves as Rocky's motivation. And like, I get that Rocky's like, I never want you to have to like work for anything again in your life and mm. just like live with my success. She had like that little job in the pet store in the first yeah, movie with that. Cuff and Link. Hey, I need to fucking uh, get some fish food over here. Fish food for my freaking turtles. <laughs> I mean, the turtles getting the fish in. <laughs> and she's just like there, kind of meekly behind the counter. Yeah. But I kind of wish we get a little bit more understanding of her evolution because she goes from being so meek to becoming so confident. I'd like to just yeah, understand her. Yeah, looks cool. She she's looks cool. dressing like. She dropped those frames. Yeah, she got rid of the lenses. Mm-hmm. Presumably, she got LASIK. She Maybe this the should first have been a, an that, Adrian movie. Yeah, there should be an Adrian movie where you see her as the first LASIK patient. <laughs> <laughs> 
Shall we give away another Oscar? Yes, let's give away an award now to a character in this film that we've hinted at before. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked about at great length, and I think it's time we finally great give length the and award great width. to the uh, the Academy Award for the most insane rig mm-hmm. ever committed to celluloid. Sylvester Stallone's body in this movie out of this fucking world. He is. Cut so unbelievably lean Disgusting. and sharp in this movie. It's somewhere between wow, that's impressive, and holy shit, that's disgusting. Yeah, it's like a which statue. is a great place for the male body to be. Oh, it's what we all envy and aim for. <laughs> he looks like a freaking statue. I don't think anyone has naturally ever gotten this body. The before actual since statue him. of his that gets unveiled mm-hmm. has more body fat than yeah. the real Stallone. That would piss him off for sure. Hey, what the hell? Who's Chubbs over here? <laughs> Who's this chubby little guy? You got a husky statue. Hey, this guy ain't moving. Why is this guy not moving around? He's got like negative body fat. It's he apparently insane. had two point six percent body fat, which oh is my the, God. he said it's the least amount of body fat he's ever had in his life. It's also, can I just say to anyone at home, really dangerous to try and mm. do that. Yeah. So if you're trying to shed and cut weight at the moment, please be sensible because two point six percent body fat can really fuck you up. Yeah. And Sly, a couple of years ago in 2017, posted on his Instagram a shot of him in Rocky Three. He's doing a handstand in the ring, Disgusting. in the bo- in the shorts with his shoes on. He's got his fucking boxing gloves on doing this handstand. He looks absolutely insane. And he posts, just for fun, a flashback from Rocky Three. Between rounds, I would get lightheaded and quite exhausted, probably due to having almost no body fat. Mm-hmm. I was on a very high-protein diet, which did not provide much physical or mental energy. During the period, I only ate very small portions of oatmeal cookies made with brown rice and up to 25 cups of coffee a day with honey and a couple of scoops of tuna fish. Ew, do you think that's in the coffee? <laughs> that's how I order it at the cafe. <laughs> Sounds Can inc- I get a long black with tuna fish? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds incredible, right? At the time, my body got fat got down to 2.9%, which Jesus. is really dangerous level. I may have looked pretty good on the outside, but inside, it was a very dangerous thing to do. But I wanted the movie to be about change, how people have to adapt to different challenges because if they don't, they will be conquered. I will always believe the adaptation is the key to survival, and that's what this story was all about. And while getting smashed by super strong clubber Lang continuously for four months of rehearsal plus the fight, I tended to wear a person. I tended to wear a person. Uh, it tended to wear a person out. So I would literally go to the corner between rounds when I wasn't directing and try to get some blood back into my head so I could carry on with the complicated fight choreography. It's funny. I never knew this picture existed. That's insane. And I don't think it's funny. I it's hadn't so read scary. that. That's insane. Mm. I'm glad he echoed a lot of the things mm. that I was saying to the audience. <laughs> but also, um, and I'm saying this was a, as a guy who has had two and a half to three days experience mm-hmm. in a boxing gym. In the ring. And uh, not in the ring, actually, just You've, hitting you pads. You haven't gotten up to the ring A couple yet. of heavy bags. Yeah. But um, let me just say- Have if, you been near the ring? There is no ring Damn. in this gym. This is just wow. bags. There is no ring. Yeah. You are the ring. Wow. wow. Okay. Let me tell you, it actually really does wear you out throwing punches, mm. even when you're just hitting a bag or pads, or if you're just sparring with a dude like they would have been when they were rehearsing. Yeah. It's so exhausting. It's painful. And I'm saying this as a guy with a lot of experience. Yeah. So, I can't even wrap my head around how he sustained that diet did all that exercise and then had to 
emote and act while he was doing it and fucking direct mm. not only himself but the camera crew, the other fucking actors. I don't know how he did it. Mm. I think the guy might be superhuman. Yeah, I think so. I don't know if there's any explanation for how a human being could do what he mm. did. And that makes me honestly think, I mean, the guy's got to get some kind of like Academy Award, like yeah. lifetime achievement thing. Because I think this so. is like, it's, he's really not respected enough for mm. what he does. I think he's one of the best to ever do it. I think that he deserves like, when they give him that honorary Academy Award, because I think he will get one one day, mm. it should be like for his directing. Because yeah. I think he gets no credit as a director. Yeah. I think he is secretly one of the greats at like truly just understanding what film is to people and how people step into that empathy machine and mm. feel those feelings that you see up on screen. I don't think anyone does it quite like him. And he is my fucking hero. You're crying. <laughs> He's one of the early heroes I have out there whose dick I've seen. <laughs> <laughs> There's a few so others. Ron Jeremy. Oh well, yeah, Ron Jeremy, Robert De Niro, and Gerard Depardieu. You see both of them naked, getting, getting whacked, whacked off, off in 1900 dicks. with those soft pennies. Which is really weird that they both have soft dicks or they're getting jacked. Well, off, it would be probably less weird if one of them got hard. <laughs> What's the point of that scene? I've never seen the movie. Um, I've only seen that that image that, that I probably scene. sent you. <laughs> I don't know. It's been a long time since I've seen it. It's like a four-hour epic about communism in Italy. And then you just see these two dudes with their soft dicks getting <laughs> fucking jacked and whacked. Yeah. And it's more people don't should know about it, that you see Robert De Niro get jacked off in a movie next to Gerard Depardieu getting jacked off. <laughs> people should know about it more. It yeah. should be frontline news, it you know? It should be on the front page of every newspaper. Yeah, once a year at least, you know? <laughs> really just go, hey, by the way, remember this? Anyway, let's get into the Total Reboot segment. I've got a Guest Presents Total Reboot. Mm. This is from our dear friend and frequent guest on this podcast, Justin Hamilton, one of the great comedians, the host of Big Squid. He joined me just recently on an episode about Armageddon Time, the new James Gray movie. If you've not checked out that episode, do it. It's spoiler-free review of a great new movie in pictures and in cinemas now. And he, the other week, called me to tell me about a pitch that he had for Creed 3 that he wished that he had thought of. He, it mm. just came to him in a, like a dream or something. He called me like early in the morning. He's like, I've got to tell you about this Creed 3 idea that I had. And it relates to Rocky 3. So chuck in that earphone and have a listen to Justin Hamilton's five-minute pitch. Of Creed 3 that never will get made because there already is a Creed 3 coming out <laughs> in cinemas now. But it's a great idea. Here we go. We open on a classroom where we see young Luttrell, barely in his teens, acing his latest exam. The teacher talks him up to his fellow students, but Luttrell is a little bit embarrassed with all the attention. At the back of the room, a group of bigger boys make comments to each other. They don't look like they're good kids. Later that day, these same boys corner Luttrell and start pushing him around and other kids see what's going on and soon they're surrounded. All the kids want to fight, the big bully wants a fight, but Luttrell doesn't want this. He does his best to move on and then the bully knocks his books to the ground and the fight is inevitable. But soon, everyone's in shock as Luttrell unleashes a series of punches. He's not fighting like a kid. These punches have purpose. They have tactics applied to them. The bully drops to the ground just as the teacher arrives and drags Latrell to the principal. 
Later that day, Luttrell's mum arrives and the principal explains that there are two paths ahead. Either Luttrell can rise above all of this, rely on his smarts and his intellect and make something of himself, or he can succumb to violence, to peer pressure and go down an uglier path. Latrell makes the right choice. We see him nail high school. We see him go to college where he finishes top in every class. We see him excel in his chosen field as a neurologist. We see him specialise in CTE, examining concussions and traumatic brain injuries. But we also see him working with writers, a director, he's interviewing people, and it turns out he's also making a documentary. Eventually, Latrell lands on Jimmy Kimmel's show and he's giving an interview about a new 30 for 30 doco. It's about his research into CTE, but it's also about a particular person, Clubber Lang. It turns out Clubber Lang, after Rocky III spiralled and was ignored by the promoters who tried to make a living out of him, he eventually suffered severe depression and he killed himself. Why is Latrell interested in Clubber Lang? Because Latrell is his son. Latrell Lang. At home, Adonis Creed is with his wife Bianca and their children watching this interview, and the subtitles are on. Bianca is now completely deaf. They talk about this situation, and Bianca is worried that Adonis should retire. He's the champ. He's proven himself. Their life is amazing. And Adonis says, but this is what I do. And Bianca explains that he could do something else. And she says that she's noticed slippage in certain parts of his life. Memory loss and inability to focus. They've got to think about their children. So Adonis meets up with Luttrell and he does some tests. And there's some signs that Adonis is exhibiting damage. And in fact, he has the high potential for a subdural hematoma. Just one punch landing in the wrong place at the wrong time could ruin everything. Adonis agrees with Bianca that it is time to retire. The only problem, Adonis has signed a three-fight deal with a promoter and an organisation that threatens to sue him for millions if he breaks the contract. They'll go after him on social media. They'll ruin his reputation. They'll take everything away from him financially and emotionally. What can Adonis do? He talks to Rocky, who doesn't know if Adonis should listen to Latrell. Rocky still hasn't forgiven Clubber for the shit he said to Adrienne. Bianca stresses that they don't need the money. They'll find a way. And Luttrell agrees with Bianca. Wait, is there an attraction between the two of them? Of course there is, because Luttrell is played by John David Washington. What a hottie. Adonis decides he's going to fight, and Bianca is not happy. She's lost her hearing through no choice. She had that taken away from her. And now Adonis is still going to fight and maybe lose parts of his personality, lose parts of his ability through a decision? Like, what is wrong with him? But Adonis is going to fight. He's going to honour the contract, and then he promises he'll retire. We then have the rest of the movie. We have three big fights with a ticking time bomb with every punch that lands on Adonis. We get to the last fight and Rocky at home watches the doco on Clubber and he begins to cry. He'll never forgive him for the way he spoke to his wife, but he has empathy for his fallen foe. On the night of the last fight, Bianca brings Latrell and Rocky together. Luttrell is, you know, not feeling confident. He kind of knows the stories and he tries to just shake Rocky's hand, but is surprised when Rocky brings him in for a big hug. Nothing more needs to be said. The two men nod at each other. They know the score now. Adonis goes out, wins his last fight. Luttrell does tests on Adonis. He's lucky. He'll be okay. 
Adonis retires on top and sets up a foundation with Latrell where the two work together to bring out more safety in all sports. The final scene is of the two men jogging together, running up those stairs in Philadelphia, and when they get to the top, they're laughing, and who's waiting for them but Rocky and Bianca? They're a new family now, and together, they're going to make a difference. Cue music, credits roll, and men who feel very difficult in expressing their true feelings look at each other and go, yeah, that was great. Pretty fantastic, right? <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And that totally, that final line totally sums up what it's all about, really, mm. isn't it? I remember when we saw Creed 2, <clears throat> we, like, we were just like, yeah, fuck, that was sick. Yeah. That was sick. That was really moving. Yeah, fuck yeah, that was yeah. awesome. Hammer gets it, man. Yeah, He gets yeah. it. Guys, thank you so much for joining us on another episode of Total Reboot. That wraps up our 1982 miniseries and brings us to next week where we are celebrating over 200 episodes of Total Reboot. We are doing probably a two-episode spectacular Mm. where we are going to go through each year of our lives and select our favorite movie or a movie that we think represents that year to us that we want to talk about. We're going to go each year through our lives, pick a movie, talk about it, and, you know, probably make a few jokes here and there, I guess I assume. (laughs) But it's a way to celebrate 200 episodes of Total Reboot and say thank you to all of you for joining us for most of those episodes. Some of them got a few less listens than the others. Mm. Some of them got a heck of a lot. So thank you to everybody that supported this podcast, and we're going to celebrate it for the next couple of weeks. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Is there anything else we need to plug? Check out Finding Jesus. Oh, yes. Send us, Jesus, send us mysteries at findingjesus.com uh, for our next project that we're working on. Mm-hmm. And you've got a couple of dates heading up in Tasmania soon, right? Yes. Um, I would just also like to say that I'm taking a little bit of a break at the moment from stand-up and stuff because I'm a bit fucking exhausted after this big year that we've just had. But, yeah, I am doing Electric Dreams twice in Tasmania before the year is up, November 17 and 18. I'll put the link in the show notes. Um, I will be doing another encore of Electric Dreams next year at some point. Uh, Those tickets will go on sale, so, you know, keep an eye out if you're in Adelaide, Melbourne, Sydney. I'll do Queensland again. I'll probably come back over to Western Australia. Mm-hmm. Uh, I won't announce those yet, but I will announce them in the near future. So please keep an eye out for that. Um, but yeah, I'm going to try and take it easy over the next couple of months because yeah, I'm course. fucking tired, man. You got to do it. I mean, and I just signed up for this gym. So what yeah. else? Am I? I don't have any time to do stand up. I've got to be nah, in the ring. You've got to be in the ring. You've got to get fight and fit. I've got to get fit, dude. <laughs> what have you got coming up? Um, I think that's all I want to say. Just I want to keep directing people to finding years. Check it out. Um, yeah. And, you know, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We'll be posting about like all the podcasts that we're guesting on at the moment and stuff mm. to help promote finding years, but also promote those podcasts. So check those out. I've on an episode of Book Cheat coming out soon. That was really fun. Um, if you're never listen to that podcast is a freaking good one mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. but thank you for listening we love you very much and please look after yourselves and make sure you don't get punched in the head because that CTE is coming for everybody and please don't get down to 2.9% body fat no it's no just no. dangerous guys if you are listening to this podcast right now while exercising stop 
yeah. stop immediately and go eat a Snickers or a donut You're perfect or something. just the way you are. Yeah, exactly. Go eat a Snickers or a donut or, hell, a fucking coffee with a couple of scoops of tuna in it. <laughs> no, don't eat that. That's how we got to that freaking 2.9% body fat. Yeah. <laughs>